We are back. Uh, we have yet to agree on which episode this is, what number it is. <laughs> so sorry. I think we're on episode 15. It's a really easy way to find that out. I just okay, haven't looked we'll yet. Look it up, Brittany. But I think that's a good thing that we're so comfortable and so into it. We've kind of lost track already. I don't care. It I doesn't know, matter to me. Either. Whatever. It's just a number. <laughs> <laughs> We're having fun already. All right. So welcome (laughs) to Scarlet TCP. We are your hosts. I am Brittany Sherman. And I am Sonia Maisalione. And today we are talking about... Julia Pastrana, known as, I don't call her this, but known as the ugliest woman in the world. Now, she's known as a variety of other things. Uh, She was a singer and a performer in the 19th century who was exploited in the sideshow circuit circuit as the bear woman the ape woman the nondescript the ugliest woman in the world the bad boom lady the baboon lady yeah. sorry i thought you said bad boom i did <laughs> and the dog face lady um oh, i'm sure among other so things sad. yes she later married her manager so that he could control her yep and he continued to exploit her until she died then continued the exploitation <gasps> with her and her baby son after their deaths as well. So we had a conversation about this one. There is definitely crime involved, particularly after her death. But the bulk of really, I think, a good chunk of what we're going to be talking about is what I consider may not be a criminal offense, but it was a crime against her and humanity in the way that she was treated and used and abused. Yes, I agree. hundred percent. I don't think it's, was it punishable by law after her death? But I don't think that at the time, anything that had happened to her in her life while she was alive was punishable by, by law or would have been. Right. Um, and maybe there were some other things that happened that, you know, may have been, may have been crimes, but while she was alive, but you know, n- there was no repercussions to anyone about the way that she was treated, Correct. which is really sad. It was very sad. So, so, you start. All right. Uh, we're going to call her Julia or Julia? We're going to call her Julia because I will spit all over my microphone if I have to call her Julia, <gasps> even though that is her appropriate name that because is she is from Mexico. That is correct. So, Julia Pastrana uh, was born in Sinaloa, Mexico, in a small village. And there's still even some question about how where she was born how she was brought up there are what i found two common theories uh but she was born in 1834 and uh, she was born of uh, mexican indigenous indian uh, probably the ecstasy ecstasy i think it's ecstasy something i think it's ecstasy starts with an x uh, it starts with an A. Oh jesus okay well then i really don't know <laughs> uh but she was uh, sh- <laughs> Woo. 
she was uh, she was born with uh, hypertrichosis terminalis, which in short is excessive hair growth all over her body where you are not expected to have hair growth. So that included all over her face, her torso, her arms, everywhere that you would not expect, particularly women, to have hair growth. Yes. So if you are thinking about other like persons in the circus and sideshow people, you would have also probably heard about Jojo the dog boy, who also had the same issue. And it's kind of the gist of what you might have heard of with, like, the bearded woman or the bearded lady. She kind of became in a quote-unquote inspiration for that type of sideshow character. Yes. So in addition to the hypertrichosis, which in and of itself is, of course, challenging, um, she had extremely large ears, nose, and her teeth were irregular. I think the later condition was found to be gingival hyperplasia, which thickened her lips and gums. And I think there was some conversation at one point about her having more than one row of teeth. And the top and the bottom, which made her jaw extrude. So what I found is that that was a theory, and that was actually something that she played up. But after she died, it was determined that that wasn't actually true. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, you know, fans, she, um, I think a lot about we're talking about with Julia you know, we, we have can and will continue to describe her um, as sensitively as possible, but I would refer you to all the documentation that's online and the images that are online um, that you can refer to about Julia because there are, are a lot of um, images that you can take a look at. Um, I don't think there are... there. I found to, there were more images um, that showed her after her death than before. Definitely. There were true photographs from after her death, and most everything I saw from before were paintings or drawings. Yes. Um, there, I did run across an autopsy photo as well, which I thought was really interesting. Oh, I did too. Yeah, it was sad, uh, as well as, uh, you know, other things we'll talk about later. Right. So... As Brittany said, Pastrana grew up a local girl whom they referred to as a wolf woman. Um, she lived with her mother, and then when her mother died, uh, it is said that her uncle sold her um, at an early age to the circus. Well, actually, before that, she—so a couple of things. Because she was referred to as the wolf woman, there is a lot of mythology about how that came to be. One is that— uh, she was born as the child of mythical creatures, particularly probably a werewolf. How her mother became pregnant with a werewolf's child, you can do the math. Uh, and then it was also later suggested, though this is completely lore and completely made up, is that she was actually part of the Root Digger tribe, which is not a real thing. But it yeah. was, it's a story that was made up to describe a, in some indigenous people who were maybe less than desirable and uh, more true to nature. And they were referred to as filthy, abominable, animalistic. Uh, they were barbaric. It was all made up. None of that actually existed. There was no tribe by that name. But for generations, that was kind of the belief or that was the story that was told to identify people that came from what you would consider more indigenous regions. 
And then, so before, I want to actually ask you about this. Before she was sold into the circus by her uncle, she went to work for a governor. She did. She was at a foster home after her mother died. Right. And then she was adopted by Pedro Sanchez, uh, the acting governor of Sinaloa. And she lived with him until 1854, which would have made her 20 years old. Right. And she worked for him as his, as like a house lady, but also an entertainer. She was really intelligent mm -hmm. and she was known around Sinaloa as she was fairly popular because she had, uh, of course, her looks, uh, also her extreme intelligence. She spoke four languages, I believe. Four or five. Uh, Spanish, English, German, French, maybe Italian. Mm, maybe. Uh, she traveled around the world. She was very popular in Europe. Right. And so, uh, but her high intelligence, she also had a beautiful singing voice and she was a really great dancer. So <laughs> even before she was a, an attraction in the circus, she was a little bit of a local celebrity for better or for worse in Sinaloa and working for the governor, both as a housemaid and entertainment. So at 20 now, she's an adult. Uh, she is introduced somehow to Theodore Lent, who was uh, a person who had been in the circus um, environment for a while. He um, actually, it is said, you know, essentially charmed her into coming with him, promising her all kinds of things. What's wrong? No, I'm just, I'm, I'm shaking my head at, like, this guy. Well, I mean, he probably came to her as she was becoming a young woman and said, you know, there's so much more that you could be doing, you know, rather than living at the governor's house with his own amusement, you can come with me. We'll go on tour. I will manage you. We will get married. Um, and then they essentially did that. They toured through the U S and Europe and she was a very, very popular attraction. She was hugely popular. Uh, she made her debut in 1854 in New York city uh, and advertised the attraction for her singing and uh, her Highland fling dancing. Did you happen to see this? No. What in the hell is that? <laughs> it's, it's, oh, what? It's really quite awesome. It is <laughs> it's a Scottish dance routine that is danced to bagpipes. What? Yeah. Like it's the jig? Is it literally the jig? Is that what this is? Maybe. It's uh, pretty. Is it's it like the, remember that dance group from Ireland where they were all high stepping yes, it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Is that what it's like? Uh, it's similar <laughs> to that, except Scotland, not Ireland. Oh, okay. Yes. Right. Yes. Of course, a yes. different country, but, but I, I think they're very, very close. They're close. Sure. Uh, but yeah, they're, it's essentially, it's very similar to that. So she was promoted as a singer and dancer, but of course, that's not why people came to see her. No, I, um, <clears throat> and I think it, it's just so sad. I, you know, to have, to think about a woman uh, at this intelligence who was so educated, so, mm -hmm. you know, well-known, lovely, being up on stage or up on stage performing, you know, I would hope that the crowd wasn't ridiculing her, but they were, um, even if they were pretending or making fun of her, at least maybe it appeared to her that, um, you know, she, they liked her and she was supported. And I, I hope that was the way it was conveyed because obviously she was smart enough to know the difference. Um, and she did so many things so well, 
you know, I, I also think, well, you know, would she have been as popular if she didn't look like, you know, right. what she did, you know, I mean, what would that have done to her career? And, um, I think the piece of it that pisses me off is that Theodore Lent guy. So let's talk a little yeah. bit more about him. So yes. this is an interesting story for us because, you know, we're going to get to the end of the story pretty quickly, but the end is not really the end. Exactly. So let's get to, um, you know, Julia and Theodore getting along. Um, again, Pastrana was known for being generous, sensitive, charitable, intelligent. And um, she claimed that Lent loves me for my own sake. I know. Which is, I'm not really sure what that means. I, I mean, as a smart woman, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that your self-esteem is super great. And I'm sure hers wasn't. And um, it sounds to me like she thought that he was really doing her a favor. I think she believed that. He loved her for her, for the person, the person she really was inside and not the attraction that he made out of her. I believe that she believed that. Well, I believe based on what she just said, loves me for my own sake, that she at least thought that he loved her, you know, in spite of her looks. Right, exactly. So, but again, I feel like that it's like, you know, (sighs) It's, I don't know. I just feel bad for a person who would think that, you know, that she was any different. She, she was different. She looked different, but any better or worse? No. I mean, just unfair considering her, her capabilities and, you know, how lovely she was supposed to have been. I know it, it is. And, and did you hear any of her audio recordings? No. Does that exist? Yeah. What? Yeah, she has a really lovely voice. It's oh. really nice. What does that sound like? I mean, think. I'm trying to think of how to describe it. Like an opera singer? No. What was she singing? Not an opera singer. Like a vaudeville kind of singer? Kind of. I'd say that's a nice way to put it. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Really? Well, no, no. Are you being sarcastic? No, I'm not being sarcastic. (laughs) I actually really enjoyed it. I think vaudeville is probably a nice way to put it. Uh, I'm trying to think of like the best way, but I'm going to post some samples on Twitter because I think it's I think it's nice to hear her voice and hear that she really was talented. She really was a good singer and she was a really good dancer. And she, for better or worse, she would not have found, she may not have found the level of fame that she did had it not been for her unique looks. Now, unfortunately, the level of fame that she found was in spite of her great talent and because of her unique looks, but it was almost like a double-edged sword. Yeah. She had raw talent and she was really good. But being that where she was from, the opportunities probably would not have been there for her had she not been diagnosed or, or not been born with the condition she was born with. Yeah, I hear you. During a tour in Moscow, um, this is, you know, when, of course, Theodore Lent and Julia are traveling around the U.S. US and Europe. Um, essentially, Julia Pastrana gave birth to a son. And um, unknown to them until the son was born, um, you know, they didn't know what the chance would be of him ending up with the same traits as Julia. But he did. Yes, he did. Uh, hypertrichosis. Hypertrichosis. Now, I'm not sure if why... He died, but he only survived three days. I think it was 36 hours. Two days. Less than two days. Yeah, maybe. Three days, two days, whatever. (laughs) Does that matter? Are we really splitting a 12-hour hair here? (laughs) 
It's a 36 hour hair. There's a, it's a day and a half. It makes a All right. I read three days, but whatever. Uh, regardless, yes. it was very short. Yes. And then, unfortunately, for Julia and for Theodore, Lent, uh, Julia died uh, five days later, essentially from postpartum complications from the birth. Well, yeah, kind of. So it went down that she died from heartbreak from her son. That's not... No, that's, that's not that's true. That's not at all. There's an actual thing that she died yeah, from. Yeah, so she... she Her official cause of death uh, is metroperiotitis paraparalysis. <laughs> you screwed that up. Let me give you the layman's term, which is the inflammation of the peritoneum about the uterus. That's what that means. I don't know how badly I screwed that up, but... Pretty bad. Okay. Probably. I think you just described some kind of like, you know, ear disease, but it's okay. <laughs> Regardless. Dr. Brittany. It's, uh, <laughs> how would you pronounce it? I chose not to. I decided to look at the definition. I took on the challenge. You are stronger than me, woman. <laughs> I screw up all the names. There's no way I'm taking a chance anymore. Uh, that is true. So, so I, I do want to remember, remind everybody again, as we think about Julia and what she looked like, Obviously, she dressed very well. Again, we said she's elegant. Um, she spoke many languages. We described the hair. We described her jutting jaw. Uh, again, look at the pictures. Something that sort of round out that image is also her height, which she was only four feet tall, five inches. Exactly. So um, she was uh, quite a small woman in she stature. Was very honestly, small. Honestly, I mean, she... Uh, you know, she was she was a little lady. Definitely. It must have been quite a sight. Well, so I have a, a kind of disturbing review from one of her early performances that I want to read. Uh, this was written by a, uh, a New York newspaper after seeing her. The eyes of this Lucis Natura, which translates, I believe it's Latin, to Freak of Nature... Oh, that's nice. What newspaper was that? I don't remember. Oh, dicks. Beam with intelligent, while its jaws, not her, jagged fangs and ears are terrifically hideous. Nearly its whole frame is coated with long, glossy hair. Its voice is harmonious, for this semi-human being is perfectly docile and speaks the Spanish language. I want to discuss specifically why this crackpot journalist referred to Julia as it. Because Julia was actually really interested in science and really wanted to learn more about her condition. So she was open for doctors to examine her and to a certain extent be science projects for people to try and learn more about what was wrong with her. So she at one point, was officially diagnosed by a physician who clearly did not go to proper medical school as being half orangutan. Hmm. That was real life. Orangutans at the time were considered to be some of the most fearsome and violent creatures in North America, in large part because Edgar Allan Poe around that time wrote a poem, The Murders of the Rue Morgue, where an orangutan slit a woman's throat with a knife. So... How were people coming into contact with orangutans? I have no idea, but... I mean, I, I guess they had a zoo back then. Well, I'm sure they had a zoo, and I mean, obviously, you know, Edgar Allan Poe was 
very prolific and popular at the time. Yeah. So he was published nationally and it made its way all across North America. And now Julia was diagnosed as being half orangutan. So they did their best to build fear into who she was, even even though describing her as docile. But it really, to me, screams of building racial diversity by just looking at this woman who happens to have more hair than you might expect. I mean, you, I don't know how you judge a person like that when you can, like, talk to them and look at them and, like, I don't, yeah. like, what the... Well, f- exactly. <laughs> I mean, he even says she's perfectly docile and she's harmonious and she speaks other languages, but he describes her as being a freak of nature with jaws and calling her an it and jagged fangs. Yeah, it's crappy. It's terrible. All right, so... So Julia's death... Yes. Well, okay. let's talk a little bit. One more thing. Yeah. <clears throat> During Julia's life, her management, i.e. Theodore Lent, right. uh, arranged to have her examined by doctors and scientists, um, using their evaluations and advertisements to attract a larger audience. Yeah. Um, of course, these examinations were intrusive and inhumane. Um, I'm getting this information from Wikipedia, but this information came came from a lot of other locations as well. And, and I'm going to give you some uh, some reading material to refer to later because there were some of my favorite reading material of all time was included this this uh, subject matter. It was, this is one of my favorite um, cases to talk about because I, I'm really endeared to Julia Pastrana. Um, again, like I said, you know, she was examined by doctors. Charles Darwin discussed her case after her death, describing her as a Spanish dancer, a remarkably fine woman, but she had a thick masculine beard and a hairy forehead. She was photographed, and her stuffed skin was exhibited as a show. But what concerns us is that she had in both the upper and lower jaw an irregular double set of teeth, one row being placed within the other, of which Dr. Perlin took a cast. From the redundancy of the teeth, her mouth projected, and her face had a gorilla-like appearance. So what's interesting about that for me is... Uh, it reminds us how Charles Darwin clearly was not, you know, it, it, that wasn't that long ago, you know. So to have conversations with Charles Darwin about things that are still impressed upon us and, uh, you know, evolution and, and the science of evolution and mm-hmm. how we have people cr- now who frequently question that science. But also to him, for him to speak specifically about this case, I think is really interesting. You know, to you, it's a subject matter, like I said, I'm really interested in. And for Charles Darwin to have an, a, P, a POV on this case, to right. me, is really, really super cool. Um, sad, but cool, you know, because a lot of times, I mean, can you say that you've ever read much Charles Darwin? I mean, besides what we were forced to in school? Yeah, no, definitely not. I didn't find it to be terribly interesting. No. So in the scheme of things, this is probably the most interesting thing that Charles Darwin ever said <laughs> to me because sure. it's closer to me yes. than the all yeah. of the, the scientific context. So I just thought that was really interesting that he had a POV on that as well. Uh, yeah, I agree. Essentially after her death, she was re-diagnosed, not part orangutan, thankfully. Though that was was that really a diagnosis yeah, or a, just no? That was really a diagnosis. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, thankfully, <sighs> someone else evaluated her, and while not significantly better, at least admitted that she was fully human. Uh, but essentially, the uh, other doctors would say that she was 
hideous and detestable, but performed all the natural functions of a woman, and she is simply a deformed Indian Mexican woman. Okay. What doctors say those <clears throat> things? Well, I mean, think back to uh, think back to doctors in that time. Yeah, that's fair. that were still figuring out how to keep women from dying during childbirth. I mean, again, it wasn't that long ago. Well, it was, I mean, it's coming up about 200 years ago. Yeah, but that was around her time. No, you know? no, I, I mean, oh, we were doing surgeries out in the middle of a room full of people without That's even thinking true. about the repercussions of bacteria. That's very true. Like, Jesus, like, it's, it's, we have, fortunately, we've made significant, you know, improvements since then, but you were talking about a time where there were a lot of questionable um, scientific you know, studies, mm -hmm. they were just trying to figure it out. I mean, they had no idea. Alrighty. So again, you know, we, um, appreciate, you know, all the challenges that Julia Pastrana went through when she died, she was 26 years old. She would died in, uh, on March 23rd, 25th, 1860. Um, Again, she died from inflammation of the peritoneum about the uterus, which was not uncommon in those days, and they were still trying to figure out how the heck to keep women from dying during childbirth. And that was largely brought on because it, giving birth to her son was a, it was a complicated birth. It was not a smooth birth, and it was what I found at least was essentially the cause was because they had to use forceps to help with the childbirth, and it caused damage to the uterus. Yeah. Again, that was pretty common back then. I right. just couldn't figure out how to avoid that. And there was a great show on, um, uh, I forget if it was stars or if it was Cinemax, it was with Clive Owen yeah. and it was, it was beautiful. I think it was stars. Was it, was that, is it the Nick that you're talking about? Yes. Yeah, I thought so. It was so fans watch that show. If you want to watch the sort of portrayal of the beginning of, you know, the surgical revolution mm -hmm. and the challenges that the doctors had to go through to, you know, you're killing people to figure out how to save more. Right. Uh, it was really interesting, but Clive Owen is amazing, but they, this is one of those things that they actually tried to solve for mm -hmm. in that show, which mm -hmm. I thought was really interesting. Again, you know, high, high mortality rate for women in childbirth. So fortunately, we've come a long way. But um, I think in these days, there's still some, the percentages are higher for um, women who are in a, um, you know, in a lower income. Right. And, and I, I find it amazing that that still happens, honestly. I know. And why should that be? Right, you I know, agree. Why should that be the very, the varying factor between them? It's so weird. A hundred percent. All right. So back to Julia Pastrana. So after uh, she passes away, you know, she is uh, stuffed. She's, em she's you know. She's embalmed and essentially mummified. Yes. So a lot of the pictures that you're going to see when you look up Julia Pastrana online are actually of her body uh, in its stuffed position. So right. she's got her little dress on. She's got or she's looking out sort of to one side or the other. And she's got her little hands on her um, waist mm -hmm. and um, she's in an upright position and she's just standing there. And she's actually she's actually a, a relatively attractive petite woman. I think if you what? <laughs> I'm serious. I'm like, look, are you being mean, Randall? No, no, I'm not being mean at all. She was well kept for sure. Yeah, but I mean, there's uh, there. I saw some pictures of her, or maybe there were paintings because they were before she was deceased, where she, her face was partially shaved, 
She had a naturally pretty face. Maybe it was in death and after being, you know, stuffed, whatever we're calling, taxidermied, um, maybe her face ended up being distorted. That's very possible. Because no, I, being, you're right. I'm not being mean at all. I, I do. I, you're right. Because when I looked at the autopsy photos with, you know, yes. the only picture I was able to find of her alive, she didn't look the same as when they had, had stuffed her. I agree. Um, and the, the unfortunately, folks, <clears throat> the other um, taxidermied, you know, body that went along with Julia on her uh, tour after death was her son. Theodore Lent um, actually had his own son. Um, I don't know if they named him, but his own son um, taxidermied as well. And Theodore proceeded to put Julia and her son on tour for many, many, many years after both of their deaths, which is really gross and terrifying. And I feel weird. Even, who would the heck pays to see that? A lot of people, apparently, because it was it was extremely popular in the mid to late 1800s. Freak shows were hugely popular and it was I, I don't understand why that's not the society that we live in now. But something really interesting that I found. So I read a book that is named terribly, but it was actually really fascinating. Uh, it was, it's called Ugliness, A Cultural History. And... Oh, jeez. I know, it sounds terrible. And Julia Pastrana was featured in there. And one of the things that I learned, one, ugliness is relative, depending on where you go in the world. Sure. And some places uh, actually consider ugly different than we do and consider it a type of beauty, but a rarer type of beauty that is... Atypical and not boring, not your standard what you'd expect, but finding <laughs> beauty in the alternative. Um, and, huh. and yeah, no, it is. It, right. It's really interesting. And there were, and, and there are actually a, in a lot of other cultures and languages, there are multiple words for ugly, meaning different things, depending on the type of word that you use, not meaning the singular ugly, hideous, unattractive that we find here. Equals bad. Exactly. So essentially on the more positive side. Right. As it, as, it, as it sort of pertains to being different. Exactly. Agreed. And on that note, there was actually a time, and I think this might speak to where this attraction came from, that from, there was essentially a law in the United States, which is so horrible to think about, starting in the 1880s, that even lasted on the books in some states until the 1970s, that children or babies born deformed or severely disabled were not allowed in society and had to be institutionalized. Yes. And they were not permitted outside to the rest of the world. So these sideshow circuses, freak shows were meant for entertainment value, but they were also the only opportunity for the general public to see what was the other, what they don't see on a day-to-day -day basis, what might be considered not that big of a deal from a physical deformity point now was completely unheard of and unseen, and this was their one and only opportunity to do that at that time. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so we're gonna chalk it up to curiosity. That's a positive way to look at it. I okay. agree. All righty. So as we said, Pastrana and her son were displayed around the world in museums, circuses, and amusement parks for many years. They appeared in Norway in 1921, 
They toured the U.S. as late as 1972. Yes. Now, folks, I was alive in 1972. I was incredibly young. <laughs> I like to say that because I'm not now, but it... Um, in it, 1972, you were incredibly young. I was. Yeah, you I were. was a sweet little toddler. Um, but, you know, I would have done anything to see this, you know, just the sight. I was so fascinated when I was young with um, the... The difference. Well, okay. I was different. I felt like I was different. You know, I mean, I came from a small town. I felt very different than anybody who lived there. I mean, and wasn't it wasn't about what I looked like. It was more about my the way I felt. You know, I just felt like I just didn't have anyone that I could connect with. Okay, so let's talk about this for a second. I don't know how this gets you know off the track of me being different in a small town versus well, being a, a you know a sideshow you know. No, no, no. Thing, but but, but actually, I want to I want to ask you about this because. We just, or you just said that you want to chalk up people being interested in seeing her and seeing these freak shows to curiosity. Well, that's the way you just described it. Well, I'm trying to be a positive spin, but uh -huh. yes. Why would you be interested in seeing this? Because I wanted to see something that was as different as I felt. Okay. That's why I, I, I mean, and I had those, those curiosities across, you know, the gamut. I never felt like I was interested in anything that was normal. I always thought, um, I was an outlier and I always was interesting, interested in the obscure and things that I thought other people, um, maybe not aware of. I didn't mind digging a little deep. And I mean, Hey, let's just re recall, you know, that my favorite, you know, when I was young, I was reading Stephen, and I'm talking young, like 10 years old. I was reading Stephen King and Anne Rice. So I was not reading, you know, maybe I read a Judy Bloom book every sure, once in a while right, because right. nobody explained shit to me. But uh, I, that was my only resource for like female information. But for the most part, it was horror. You know, I was reading horror books. I was reading, I was escaping. No, and that's, and that's totally fine. And I, because I go back and forth because there's part of me also that thinks I would be extremely curious and want to see this also, want to see this other and see the other side of life that I might not be exposed to and have a greater appreciation for it. Yeah. But then there's the other part of me that says, I don't want to do that because someone who is different is being exploited for profit. And so yeah, I'm, for I'm, sure. I'm really on each side of it. And that's why I was just curious where you came from with wanting to see it, because I, I can see both sides. Yeah. Well, for me, you know, I think about seeing a person like Julia Pastrana, not, you know, not, I would prefer to see her alive, obviously, but, um, you know, seeing her, her body in, I don't know. I just, I, there was this weird fascination I had when I was young with just death and it freaked me out. And at the same time, I was so curious about it. Um, you know, I, I had animals die. It was, it was just fascinating to me. No, 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 for sure. So, and, and to like, to that point. So one of the last times that she was featured on display was in uh, the 1970s in Norway by a guy by the name of Hacken Lund. Probably butchered that. Julia was on display yes, yes. when she was passed away. Yes, Let's, yes, yeah. yes. I just yeah. want to remind yeah, everybody yeah, yeah. that's yes, what we're talking about. Passed away. And it was set up in a situation where he essentially, this this gentleman, put it in put it into a display and had medical students pretend to be doctors and 
would allow viewers to come see her and the students would describe the medical anomalies about her as if they were educating and it was referred to as popular education and to me that is kind of almost like the precursor to the body worlds exhibit which i think is fascinating i've never actually seen it's amazing i'm sure it is but it's i think this was a little more of a uh exhibitionist kind of thing that was masquerading as education sure but i think that it was it's kind of a precursor to here is someone who is different let's look at it from an educational and medical perspective then of course now we get to the body worlds exhibit which is the human body actual human bodies that have been preserved to see what the inside of people look like a, a standard typical person and people with other anomalies and being able to experience that differently. And those are in museums. This was not in a museum. This was like an attraction. Right. I think he was also capitalizing on the, again, you know, surgery and doctors were just figuring things out or they were really, you know, approaching it. I mean, hospitals were starting to, were on the rise and to get into, I mean, if you knew the right people, you could get into one of those educational settings where you could witness a surgery. Right. And you know, the upper class. uh, Can you? Yeah. There's still, I mean, if you, God, I would love to see that. I wouldn't, but there are, yes, there are definitely, particularly from an educational standpoint, but there are places that essentially have galleries that are, separated but and and isolated but kind of like overlook uh operating rooms that is amazing for like regular people i don't know if it's regular people per se but i i don't know what would go into being able to view that we should figure that out i would not want i don't want i'm gonna figure it out for myself you can do that by yourself okay excellent um all right so again 1972 Mm -hmm. last time julia pastrano toured the u.s um you know as she was you know taxidermied stuffed with her son uh later the year the she went on a tour of sweden and um they drew This is when, I'm not surprised it took this, honestly, I'm surprised it took this long, but, you know, in 1972, Sweden decided, because it was this public opposition against her being shown, um, that they withdrew them from public. So that was the last time that uh, Julia and her body was actually put on display for someone else's profit. So before we get into what happened to her body before or uh, after that, after she was removed from the public... I want to jump backwards and talk a little bit more about Theodore Lent, who I completely despise and (laughs) why I don't think his heart was ever in the right place when he was with Julia and why I don't believe that he loved her for her and who she really was. Because, of course, he did take her bodies after they her and her son's body after they were embalmed and took them on to her. Yeah, he was despicable. He was despicable. But then he found another woman with the same condition as Julia, though not as severe. Mm-hmm. Her name was Marie Bartel, married her, had her come on to her with him and made her part of her his act and exhibited her as the sister of Julia Pastrana. Yeah. So he replaced her with someone else and he, he repli- took him on tour. Exactly. Mm-hmm. This guy was 100% a 
only in it for profit. Yeah. He, there was no love. There was nothing genuine about mm-hmm. it. Uh, uh, he renamed Marie Zenora. Uh, Zenora Pastrana, but uh, Zenora or Marie, which I think is fantastic, got the last laugh because uh, Lent, Theater Lent got sick and uh, essentially Marie ha- uh, called the authorities on him and had him submitted for a psychiatric evaluation and put into an asylum. Oh, good for her. I did not read that. Yes. And so he died in an asylum and she inherited his wealth. And he actually (laughs) inherited. She actually. That's awesome. I know. It's super awesome. You can put someone away and inherit their wealth. Yeah. Well, I mean, they were married. And so he died. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But she. (laughs) So. But uh, so Marie Bartel essentially became, you know, inherited Theodore Lent's wealth including all of his assets and included in her asset in his assets were the bodies of Julia and her son. So Marie actually then sold to other exhibits to have it go on to her. Hi, hi, hi. Thanks. Thanks, Marie. Yeah. So on one hand, Marie got hers, but on the other hand, she still didn't treat the deceased with any respect. Got it. So this is where the true crime comes into play for me. Uh, again, you know, Sweden decided that it was a bad idea to be traipsing Julia and her son around. And they um, put her in storage. They put her in, a, um, you know, in, a, in what they thought was a safe place. In 1976, in August, uh, vandals broke in and stole Julia's body. No, sorry. No. Vandals broke in the storage facility in ni- in August of 1976 and damaged the baby's body, and the remains were consumed by mice. Yikes! Uh huh. Yes. Come on. Yeah. Uh huh. So not not just that, but they did damage Julia's body because oh. they thought they were going into. This is how well preserved Julia was. They thought they were going into a warehouse with mannequins. What? And they accidentally stumbled upon. Yeah. They, oh, what? They thought that they were... Essentially, no. Yes. That is weird. Yeah. What? No, I know. So they I actually, would poop my pants if I, were, I was, like, breaking in. I'm yeah, a thief, and I'm yeah, like, okay. hey, they're not mannequins. They're not mannequins. <laughs> no, so they're, like, messing around, thinking they're mannequins, and Julia's arms fell off. Oh, my God. No. Uh-huh. And then Gross. they also desecrated the baby's body, which was thrown in the trash and eaten by mice. Um... There and once they realized what they had done, I read though I don't know why these guys were in such prison <laughs> that they actually took the limbs to the police because they were super freaked out about it. And that's how they found what? And then that's how the police found that the, the thieves turned in. That's what I read, which sounds crazy. That sounds weird. I know. I don't know if that's accurate or not, that's but I did read that. A good story with the arms. But, I know, but how uh... freaking scary would that be? What? <laughs> You think you're like messing and like messing around with a mannequin, and all of a sudden a human arm falls out? I may never try to steal anything ever again. <laughs> oh my god! No. Oh my god! All right, so I guess I I I'm not sure what happens between that August 7, 1976, and then when Julia's Julia's preserved body was stolen in 1979. Um, 
I don't know how they found it, but I, I'm a little unclear here. I mean, it got I, shifted I, around. Yeah, I mean, I, I think because the government was like, all right, you can't display human remains as an exhibit anymore. They put it into a warehouse and kept tried to keep it preserved so that at some other point they could bring it back out and re-exhibit it. But then this happened. So, yeah, late 79. Um, apparently, between 1979 and 1990, her body floated around, stored in wherever for that period of time, and someone again stumbled upon her, and um, it was identified finally in 1991. They had been looking for her for a long time. Mm-hmm. So that was what I read, The you know, around the time I became interested in, in, in sideshow folks and things like that, because I'm from Florida, so there's a lot of sideshow folks there, you know, ringling you know circus was there they wintered there and there's a town that i can't remember outside of tampa maybe called hudson um but it was a place where the um folks also wintered because it's warm there right so you know 1990 would have been right when i was um my first couple of years in college 1990 and um she was gone. Like it was such a weird thing that they couldn't figure out where she was. And I thought, what a great screenplay, like what a great story to tell about, you know, to your point, walking into a warehouse and thinking you're going to be fine. You know, you're going to be stealing cigarettes and you end up, you know, stumbling across Julia Pastrana's body. And you're like, Oh my God, what do you do? Like, do you turn it in? Cause if you turn it in, you're a thief. So then you're kind of turning yourself in. Um, and I thought that was just so fascinating. So in, in 1990, did you know about this story and know about Julia Pastrana and how that essentially her history and how she was missing? Yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, oh, my God, you know, she yes. was identified. Yeah. Um, and then in 1994, the uh, the Norway Senate recommended burying her remains. But again, they decided to keep them so scientists could perform research. Yep. A special permit was required to gain access to her remains. So here she is being shifted around. She she may have traveled more in death than in life. That's probably true. That's crazy. Yeah, because in life she was, I mean, essentially, as far as an attraction, she was in New York City and maybe around a little, you know, a few parts of America and then went to England and then Russia. And I think that was it. And then after in, in, in death, she pretty much toured the world. Well, Oh, I found the city. So in, in, in Florida, <laughs> it's called Gibsonton. I'm so sorry. After poor, Sorry, Florida people. I, I did live there my whole life. I promise. Um, but Gibsonton. And I think if I'm not mistaken, that's the hometown of the lobster boy uh, who, if I'm not mistaken, also killed his mom or his grandma. I'm sure you guys have heard of that story. And we'll do that uh, on a, at another day. But, you know, again, you've got a warm state where people are wintering getting together a lot of them are underprivileged um many of them have alcohol issues i mean to be put on display you know again your self-esteem was just shot so i'm sure they were self-medicating and um you know if i'm not mistaken that that city is still very popular um and of course wrangling you know as since um you know gotten an incredible art school uh you know yeah okay great that's what why i was interested i was so fascinated that i was right there and then the circus would always come to town in florida and and then there was also like a orange festival or a citrus festival that was always it was like a fair right and um you know i remember growing up and being able to go into these 
paying a nickel or a quarter or whatever the heck it was and going in and seeing these different attractions. And at the time they were still really popular. I could go in there and see something very similar to what you would expect from seeing Julia's body being stuffed and on stage. Mm -hmm. I feel like I saw that more than once. Really? Not her. Right. But but others. Yeah, it was really strange. And then there was this whole tent that you could go into and you could see all these like medical, you know, abnormalities. So like, you know, the baby pig with two heads in a jar, you know, and and a lot of these were actually real. Oh, definitely. You know, I mean, I think if you can right now you can drive through Kansas and stop at a farm that has like a two headed cow or something. I mean, my favorite attractions is you're driving around the United States, but you could, um, you know, when I was young, it was still something that I was interested in and I felt close to because at least one time a year, I could go in and see these exact exhibits. That is pretty fascinating. It's weird. That's really weird. Mm-hmm. So anyway, again, you know, we now know where Julia's remains are. Her son is long gone being something, whatever happened there, being eaten by something. Right. Um, I've also heard notes that they were, I don't know, he was eaten by dogs. I don't know. I don't know why anything would eat a stuffed baby, but whatever. So here we are now. Finally, finally, we have found Julia's body and we have identified her and someone may be putting in her putting her in a place of protection so that hopefully this will never happen to her again, at least forevermore, as long as her body is still intact. Well, barring the arms. Right, Did they right. put the arms back on? I don't even know. I don't think so. No, 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 because I, I actually think that the limbs that were kind of like fallen off were. I think maybe used for other research or okay got it i think actually they may have may have been buried separately okay got it yeah that sucks i know so in august of 2012 finally um a woman uh, it sounds like an an artist who was a visual artist from mexico she was adamant that julia's body be returned to her home country and state and buried there um you know in a dignified manner which i appreciate you know yes and in February of 2013, the governor agreed. Uh, the, the governor of the state of, uh, of Sinaloa. Of Sinaloa, mm-hmm. Mexico. And uh, it was actually a major fight with uh, the government from Norway because they didn't believe that the remains should be shipped back. So... Uh, what? Yeah. Why? They wanted to keep them or they just thought it was in- undignified to ship remains? I think it was more that it was like undignified. They had no use for Now? Them. Really? Oh, no. Now it's undignified? I know. Fuck these people. That's crappy. I know. It's a little selfish. Yeah, I know. So, um, uh, yeah, so she, uh, essentially had, the remains were, were shipped back to Sinaloa, Mexico, uh, to a lot of, um, like fanfare. And, you know, the, the town was very grateful to have her back and she was afforded the a a catholic mass and burial and there were gifts that were sent from all over the world to pay respect for her Uh, and her funeral was attended if i'm not mistaken by like thousands of people 150 years later Mm. it was it was considered she was to a certain extent, like a, a favorite lost daughter that was finally making her way home. That's sad. It's very sad. I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that, that she was finally put into a place where, um, you know, she was safe and that she was in a dignified manner. Exactly. It was 
so again for me i've run the gamut with this this is again one of my favorite stories of all time um and it's true Mm -hmm. uh but you know i have followed this story for many 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 years i was probably 21 when i started following this story and um to see it come full circle here now and to have found her and have progressed to this point to me is fantastic but ultimately um just terribly sad, you know, that we as humans would do that to another human, to put them on display and to ridicule them and um, not be sensitive to them. And it just, I mean, it sucks. It's just so gross. And I get it. It's curiosity. And I get it. I even said that I would be curious right. and I would go, yeah, right? But I think the piece of it that makes me um, angry is, you know, it's for profit. And I don't think that exploitation is should ever be allowed, of course. Um, and you know, it's a fine line because, you know, you have to think about your motivations and you don't want to see exploitation ever happen, but, you know, curiosity for these people at this time, um, based on what they were hearing. And, and like you said, Brittany, they didn't have any access to this kind of thing. Right. And there was, if in history, if you were born and you had deformities or you had issues, they would frequently kill you because they thought you were unlucky. They thought that it was, uh, you know, some kind of, you know, it, people were born like that because they had had sex with animals. It was yes. a very popular thing, popular theory at the right. time. Um, you know, it was just unexplained. And because there was a huge, there was no science behind it, right? No, it was just a all. feeling, you know, people got scared. They, they tried and, to come up with explanations for how this could happen. And it must have been by inhumane ways, not natural. Yes. So I want to talk a little bit. So I think we've, we've summed that up pretty good, yes. you know, and uh, I, I, I applaud them for doing the right thing. A couple of, you know, folks in the sideshow that I would like to suggest people look into, and some of them are more popular than others. And Brittany, I think you probably are familiar with these folks because you just watched Todd Browning's the movie Freaks. I did. I watched it for the first time. It's a movie I've always been fascinated in, but never able to find. I found it. I'm not going to say where because I don't want to be taken down. But it is out there and it is a <laughs> worthwhile viewing. It was a really important movie at the time because, you know, it was considered to be explicit. It um, had real sideshow so show folks in it and um some of my favorite people who i love reading about and i'm also going to recommend some reading material for you folks who are interested in this this area um so from the people that i followed you know again julia pastrana because i just thought her story was so moving right. and since she was such a wonderfully nice person and she was so well known and i really struggled with people who could say such terrible things about her and then speak in a, you know, in an endearing way about her at the same time. It was, it's weird to me. I still, I gra- I'm, I'm grasping to understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, other people that I thought are really interesting in history who've had similar issues that were, um, you know, just challenged by this, but at the same time, to your point, were there, they didn't have any other opportunities. Um, and so they took the only opportunity they had to sort of go on to her to make money. So my favorite would be, of course, Prince Randian. I thought he was a really interesting character in the movie Freaks, mm-hmm. and he was a real person. Yeah. Um, you know. much, by the way, pretty much everyone in the movie Freaks, all of the sideshow, they're... They're real. They're not actors. No. They were actually taken from circuses and sideshows and put into this movie. And 
they're it's a hundred percent real there's no crazy makeup there i mean it's from 1932 there are no visual effects and to be honest with you it's it's pretty obvious who the actors are and who the natural right. original people are because the acting is not good no it's, it's not good but it, you're not watching it for the acting you're, not, you're watching it for the people you're watching it for the people and yeah. it's it's remarkable it's a tough movie to watch because getting back to what i said before on one hand it feels exploitative but on the other hand, it feels like it is opening your eyes to something that you would not normally see and also providing insight to people with different challenges and different abilities or disabilities or maladies uh, and, and seeing that they are real people with real feelings. So it, just a little insight from that. When that movie came out, uh, it was it was a pre-code Hollywood era, which means there were there was no ratings, there were no guidelines, uh, and it was audience members walked out on it because it was so difficult for them to watch. Uh, it's considered a horror movie. We just had this conversation. I don't know if it really is. At the time it was. I think yeah, it was at the time, at it, the time was. it was horrible. It wasn't something that people were used to seeing. Exactly. So again, I don't think it was very well received at the time either. No, not at all. So Prince Randian, yeah. uh, again, you know, You'll see if you watch Freaks or you can look him up. Really interesting character. He, I don't know if he was a real prince, but he was um, what they considered to be a human torso. You know, yes. that, was, that was pretty much it. He was wrapped in um, some gauze and yep. pretty much that and a head. And um, he was able to do many things. He could roll cigarettes. He could, he could move in ways that I was really surprised considering he had nothing really to propel him. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, it really was. Uh, in that movie also was Johnny Eck, who I thought was really interesting. You know, he, to me, was one of the better acting, sl actor slash, you know, sideshow folks. Um, really fascinating. Uh, not in that movie, but worth a read, uh, would be about Chang and Eng. I, um, you know, Siamese twins, very interesting story. These guys were on tour for quite a while. They were educated. They ended up retiring, getting married to sisters, and then fathering many children each. So they had to go from, they. I think they split their nights, three or four nights a week, they would go to one of the sister's homes and that's where, and they would be together, you know, I forget, you know, Chango or Aang, whichever one, sure. you know, they didn't stay in the same house is my point with, right, with right. the sisters. They lived apart and they would just go back and forth. And I think they had like nine to 12 children. Wow. I mean, wow. it was a lot, you know, so trying to figure out, I don't know. I, I have a lot to get my head around there. I, I, I mean, like you say, we will unpack that one later. Um, and what was really interesting about Chang and Ng is again, they were really, they were really, um, they were very smart and they were educated and they were very nice people. And when they died, I, if I'm not mistaken, they were, they died within less than a day of each other. Oh. And back in that time period, you know, when you were a conjoined twin, yeah. it was impossible to tell the effect of separating them so for the most part they just stayed together right um, just because they weren't sure what would happen if they didn't exactly and sometimes and and i think even you know sure in the 50s and so on we were you know starting to separate conjoined twins more often but even when even to this day i think when they separate conjoined twins it's a it's a really 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 important surgery and it, there's a lot of unknown about the outcome. You still don't know, even if you think it's going to be fine. Oh, no, 100%. Because um, there's this emotional component to it. Well, there's a lot of emotional component, and let, let alone, the, I mean, the physical, because 
you uh, many times you're sharing key arteries, vessels, and sometimes even organs. Right. So it's extremely complicated. And nowadays we can see that, you know, we have a lot more visibility to what goes on inside the body, but there's still so much to sort of think about and to be cognizant of when, um, when, when separating twins, including the emotional component. I mean, it's just so devastating. So my other person I would recommend, and, and there's a movie, you know, of course we've got the elephant man movie, which John Hurt starred in as the elephant man, John Merrick, and was incredibly good in the role. Right. He, to me, really portrayed John Merrick in the way that I thought John Merrick would actually act. Um, you can see pictures of the real John Merrick online. Um, I think that he was very close to, again, that portrayal in that movie. And it was, you know, again, he was a graceful, elegant, generous, kind person who, um, uh, yes, sorry. Well, they called him John, right? Was it Joseph? I thought they called him John Merrick. You're well, you're right. His name is Joseph Merrick, but often, erroneously incorrectly referred to as John yeah, for some I, weird I called reason. him John Merritt. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, anyway. So again, you know, interesting character, really fascinating to 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 think about and take a look at um online. Maybe also I, I mean I will say for me, maybe this fascination also started with this is you know, again, I grew up I was born in the late 60s. I grew up in the 70s and 80s on the East Coast. I My father is from Kentucky. My mom is from Florida. And we lived in Florida. And uh, I would frequently go with my family to Kentucky to see my father's side of the family. And they live in the mountains of Kentucky in a very rural area. And my grandfather was a preacher and a teacher. And, um, you know, again, not like this is any monumental feat, but he sort of sort of created this town around his home and really fostered the the community. Yeah, he was a, a big um, proponent of education and making sure that people had access in, to information and to education in the rural areas. And he was um, a, an advocate for the people in those areas. They even had the... Um, the horse, you know, the horse pack, you know, where they would have the librarians come around when their their, you know, packs on their horses right. would have books right. in them and they would give them out to the people in the, the mountain communities. They just didn't have any any way to get to it. Uh, and there was a guy there who I don't recall his name. I, I kind of do, but I don't want to say it. But he was a person who was known in that very little town. I mean, the general store was in my grandpa's front yard. And then the church that he was a preacher at was like two doors down. It was really small. And he would come over and he spent a lot of time at my grandpa's general store. And for this purpose, we'll call him Randy because I think that's what his first name was. And when I was little, I'm talking about four, five, six, all the way to 10, 11. This was a gentleman who would come to my grandpa's general store and I'd be sitting on the counter behind the counter and he would come in and he had a very deformed face. Mm -hmm. He had some kind of deformity where his chin um, drooped all the way down to the middle of his stomach. Wow. So when he drank a Coca-Cola, which he liked to do for us all the time because it made us laugh and freaked us out at the same time, Mm. he would have to put that (gasps) bottle in his mouth, which was probably a good eight to 10 inches below his face. Wow. It was crazy. And he was so sweet and cool and nice. And my grandfather and my, my family was so kind to him. Um, and he was a lovely person and there, I think he died in the seventies or eighties, but he was, that was my experience with it. And for me, um, you know, he was a regular person on the inside, but it was, 
clear to me that he was different. And I thought it was really interesting what he was able to do. And he endeared himself to us. You know, he was definitely a fun guy for us kids to hang out with. So I so look forward to going on those trips when I was little to go see him for sure. and all the things that happened in the mountain, mountain, uh, mountains of Kentucky that are very different than what you would expect in Florida. <laughs> we'll just say that. That's fair. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was, uh, I'll show you pictures of him, Brittany sometime. I would love to see yeah, that. He, uh, I have cousins and family who know him very well. And I think my cousin just posted a picture of him, but he was a really nice guy. And so I was close to him. And I, like I said, I looked forward to talking to him and I look forward to spending time with him, but, uh, he definitely, uh, made an impression on me obviously. visually and otherwise. Yeah. I was, so startled by him and then of course when I first met him I was super scared but then I remember my grandfather making sure that I knew that he wasn't any different than any of the rest of us with the exception that he may be better because he was such a kind and generous person that's so sweet yeah it was that, really cool that warms my heart so maybe that's how I got there but uh you know again take a look at uh you know the other people I mentioned because I think they're fascinating in their own right I'm going to give credit to one of my favorite books that I read about um when I was young or about you know essentially sideshow folks and, and and what we would call the freak culture and that was by frederick drimmer and he also was you know very close to that that environment and those people and he really wanted to portray them in a way that was respectful the book is called very special people he also wrote a couple of other books that i found really interesting that you can look up online but his name is frederick drimmer d-r-i-m-m-e-r -M -M -E so look him up and i also got my reference from a book that i like called human oddities a book of natural nature's natural a book of nature's anomalies and it has a lot of really interesting pictures in it that um you should take a look at and that book is by martin monastier so um you know look at that the other other person i want to call out who i thought was super informative who i'm really like she's growing on me that i like is uh this youtube i don't know if she's got a podcast but a youtube person and um she her her youtube name is ask a mortician uh Huh? Yep, I and, watched uh, her. The series is Iconic Corpse. Right. And when I dug a little deeper into her, uh, I subscribed because that's Did right up really? my hell okay. yeah. Okay. Because when I looked at what she was, you know, all of her videos, you know, I mean, she it appears that she's a mortician in L.A. She's a coroner or a mortician. Maybe. I'm not sure. Well, a coroner would no, actually be a state person. Yeah, so yeah, a no, mortician. There's a big, there's a big difference. She, it's, it's Ask a Mortician. Right. So she's maybe she's been a mortician and now she's a coroner. I don't know. But um, she's that. And uh, I would suggest you watching some of her videos because she's super funny and cool. And I love her approach to the subject matter. I mean, she answers a lot of questions that I have. Like yeah. one of her, one of her uh, YouTube videos is about, you know, what happens when you're cremated. You know, and I'm like, I want to know that. I would like to watch that. I know. So, you know, shout out to her. She's kind of the bomb. I would subscribe yeah. to her. She seems really cool. And maybe at some point we can have her as a guest on Ooh, our show because would be cool. she's in L.A. and we're in L.A. Yeah. So, uh, you know, heads up out there. That's pretty cool. All right. So for my uh, references, shout outs, uh, public domain review, vintage news, uh, and uh, also on YouTube, uh, FTD News. Uh, I mentioned the book that I read, Ugliness, A Cultural History. Uh, so there's, uh, you know, it's, I think the most fascinating part about this is less about Julia Pastrana, even though she is a very fascinating person, but the conversations that it open up, opens up to the other side, the other types of people, and the way that life happens 
away from what we see and how other people experience life. There is a great line in Freaks with uh, one of the main characters who is a little person and who has the face of a child, a young child at that. <laughs> and uh, it, it's he's the central character for which the, the main plot, main narrative is built around. And he says early in the movie, I may look like what I do, but I'm still a man inside and I'm still a person. And oftentimes I think that gets forgotten. So yeah. I think yeah, it does. that to me is really what the biggest takeaway is. Julia is a fascinating person in her own right, but she is one example of a plethora of other people out there that may be exploited or living life in a way that most people have no visibility or thought to. Yep. Alrighty, folks. Well, thanks for listening. Be kind out there to your people. Be kind to the people who look the same as you and the people who look different. Because again, as Brittany says, you know, we're all humans inside. So be nice to each other. All right. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Scarlet Podcast. Find us on Facebook. Subscribe to us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to get your podcast from. And, um, we are the ladies of Scarlet. That's right, Scarlet TCP fans. Later.